Hello and welcome to Eat or No Lit. My name is Nick Argyris and we're recording in the morning, so I'm very calm. Today I'm looking for... (laughs) (laughs) I'm just laughing because my son is at his best at the in, in the first kind of the first block mm-hmm. uh, because he's had a whole night of sleep and I want I want to imagine that that's why you're doing so well. Yeah, Nick, Nick and Freddie both get quabby in the afternoons. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Late mornings and early afternoons very crabby. Um uh, but today if we can please focus. Today I'm looking for the best Philip K Dick book. Well, to help me. Philip K Dick short story. I mean, I did, I did not read any of his brilliant books. I read one of his brilliant short stories. So One of mm-hmm. Philip K. Dick's short stories. And to help me are two high, qualified high school English, te- highly qualified high school <laughs> English teachers. I don't, I don't think you should sell this too much, Nick. Uh, my name's Joe Holshue. And uh, for today, I read the first Philip K. Dick short story that I think I've ever read. So I wouldn't yeah. say highly qualified. I might not okay. even say qualified. Uh, but Nick, if you're looking for a Philip K. Dick short... I have one that I could recommend. It's called Paycheck, written in 1952, made into a Ben Affleck movie. Hey, Ian, if we could just sidebar real quick. Um, I think we're going to have to work on Joe building this fiction out. Um, I'm not sure if he should keep tearing it down like the way he is. Sure. Well, right. Like it's crucial to the success of the podcast. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what I'm talking about, but uh, yeah, well, let me, let me take another stab at that. Hi everybody. I'm a Philip K. Dick scholar. I have a PhD (laughs) in Dick. Too far, too far down. It's gotta be a happy metal. Well, guys, I think you should read paycheck. It's, it's really interesting. Good morning, scholars. My name is Dr. Ian Young, and since I am a high school English teacher, I am therefore highly qualified mm, to talk about Philip K. Dick. I also love, love his work, uh, and I'm looking forward to talking about him today. I've taught his story or uh, his book, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, before, and I've brought it to the podcast, but I'm not talking about that one today. I'm talking about another Dick story, which turned into a film. The story is called We Can Remember It For You Wholesale. Um, it's from 1966, and it was made into the film Total Recall. May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely <laughs> enough, every author was at some point a racist. Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. <laughs> who, who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. <laughs>, <laughs>, <laughs> I think Ian just brings things that have been made into movies. I'm starting to suspect okay. that Ian just watches the movies instead. Do Ian? you do you want to know? Do you want to know the 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 clear line to we can remember it for you wholesale here? Here's how it went. Uh, last last week we were talking about Robert Heinlein and Starship Troopers. You got to tell the story like Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um. We were talking about Highline and Starship Troopers. So I looked up the movie Starship Troopers and I, I remembered it was directed by Paul Verhoeven. And Paul, Paul Verhoeven did not actually finish the Heinlein novel. He was just like, yeah, I get a good idea what this is about. And so he made Starship Troopers based on like his general sense of the Heinlein novel. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I more or less get man, it. Man, Verhoeven's great. So I, I I was looking at his filmography and I was like, oh yeah, he did Total Recall too. But and to so be there, clear, like he there. didn't get it right. Like the movie's n- absolutely nothing like the book. Well, and, and looking <laughs> looking doing a little. This is not this is not Heinlein week, but um, no, it certainly he did is not. really really. People hated Heinlein because they kind of 
disliked his politics. He thought war was the answer to everything. He used to be in the military. (laughs) And so so, so Verhoeven comes along and he's like, huh, Starship Troopers. Cool, cool, cool. Oh, I'm going to make all the militarism sardonic and ironic instead of just full-throated let's go kill the aliens type thing. it's kind of crazy that some people just believe that where it's like yeah <laughs> no i'm pro-war oh right okay let's shoot <laughs> let's shoot our problems in the face until oh. they're gone yeah. How, what, what, what other fun hacks do you have to deal with your problems <laughs> <laughs> uh, self-medication mm-hmm. um mysticism mysticism is actually where philip k dick went so mm-hmm. well welcome lit heads to you don't know lit a weekly or as we call it strongly, strongly podcast, podcast here on, again, You Don't Know Lit, um, where every week we pick a theme or genre, and Ian and Joe bring a book, uh, and we, we figure out who's the who shall reign supreme, uh, and we pick a winner just to piss one of them off. Um, and, of course, we have show rules to keep us on track on this Jeopardy-like t- programming. Uh, rule number one, only unavoidable spoilers, please, today, gentlemen. It's <clears throat> nice, thank you. Done! Da, 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 Are you going to drop da, the bass? Rule number two. Drop the bass on three. Uh, rule number two only on a... Uh, wait. <laughs> rule number two... Omit needless, omit words. needless omit words, Joseph. Joseph. Words, Joseph. And rule Kipling? number three, winning isn't everything. It's the only thing that matters and to Ian and Lombardi. Joe. You know, I was watching Jeopardy the other day, and there was a, it was the first time in the getting to know you section that I ever saw somebody bring a prop with them wow, and it, it was a pretty good joke he, he was explaining how he had caught some rare horse disease and then when uh ken <laughs> when, when ken jennings was commiserating with him a little bit the guy's like well it happens and he shrugged and both of his hands were horse hooves like he was wearing plastic horse hooves on his hands which i thought was really good and memorable well hang on i can't really say allow that that sounds like a comedy movie, and I, I don't watch Jeopardy wait, wait at a minute, all, wait but a if minute, I did, I wouldn't watch it for the comedy. Ian, I, Ian, I think I know what happened. He what was happened? watching Celebrity Jeopardy, and Carrot Top was on. Oh, oh really good. No, yeah. I think what's really happened is ever since Alex Trebek, uh, rest in peace, has passed away, uh, he no longer rules over Jeopardy with an yeah. iron fist, yeah. and just uh-huh. some shenanigans are starting to slip in. Gotcha. Yeah. They're introducing props. He would do a pat down for every guest before every taping. I heard about like, that. Famously, famously, it yeah. was part of like the benefit of being in the studio audience is you got to watch how you got to be personally patted down by Alex Trebek. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, Joe, do you want to take 30 seconds to tell me about Philip K. Dick? Yeah, definitely. Well, like, I'm going to tell you about Philip K. Dick's 1952 story paycheck. Um, a talented engineer, Nick, has accepted a secret contract. Nice. The terms of the contract state that he will work for two years on a project, after which he will have his memory of the time totally erased with a partial lobotomy. He'll get paid a whole bunch of cash. He wakes up to find that during his tenure, he decided to forego payment of money and instead receive an envelope full of trinkets, some wire, a bus token, a ticket stub, a strip of cloth. It's immediately captivating and filled with cool science fiction stuff. Huh. What is it called again, Joe? Uh, paycheck. 1952. Paycheck. 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 Wait a minute. You're trying to say it a whole bunch so it gets stuck in our minds? Paycheck, paycheck. No. I'm sorry. Isn't that the plot to Total Recall? (laughs) Um, As we've discussed on the show, I have not seen Total Recall. It is the plot to 
Paycheck, the 2003 okay. Ben Affleck movie and the Ian, 1952 Philip K. I'm really interested to hear your plot synopsis right now because <laughs> I'm in fear that these might be identical. Your time has started. <laughs> if you can't go on vacation, the next best thing is taking a vacation in your memory, remembering a past vacation. In Philip K. Dick's short story, We Can Remember It For You Wholesale, Douglas Quayle is a sad sack who decides to buy a great memory. But this innocent desire entangles him, his wife, the company that tries to implant the memory, a shadowy government organization, and small rodent-like aliens. Hmm... So I definitely have a government organization in mind that's shadowy. I don't think I have rodent. These aren't the same. These aren't the same story. The brain activity. I kind of wonder. So, so I feel like, so I ran across this quote from Philip K. Dick about, um, about, um, um, about understanding about understanding the reality we live in. He says, we live in a society. There it is. We live in a society. We live in a society in which spurious realities are manufactured by the media, by governments, by big corporations, by religious groups, political groups. So I ask in my writing, what is real? Because unceasingly we are bombarded with pseudo-realities manufactured by very sophisticated people using very sophisticated electronic mechanisms. I do not distrust their motives. I distrust their power. They have a lot of it. And it is an astonishing power that of creating whole universes universes of the mind i ought to know i do the same thing so this is this this thing about like memory and identity and experience it seems to be one of his his focal points and as he says at the end of that quote he does the same thing this is also he's not just reflecting on like reality it's about writing too he's saying like yeah. the life of the mind the imagination i spin mental fictions the way that these various yeah, right like everybody's spinning these fictions i think that's super interesting there's like this reaction that i have to a lot of things in the world especially online where i never know how to say it in a more sophisticated way than to like look at somebody's instagram post or like read something on the reddit and be like oh this is fake like this is not real. This is a this is a right. reality that this person has manufactured. Um, and I always get frustrated that I can't explain it better than that. But I think it is like this. Uh, it, it's these fictions that we all spin up and and right. present. Right. Yeah, but his his fictions are way better than mine. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. That's my true. Instinct, the, my food picks. <laughs> I, I really do. I really do wonder if if um, Dick was practicing with paycheck. Uh, yeah. for yeah. I'm, I'm not saying like like necessarily we can remember it for you wholesale is better but like 14 well, years you're, separa- kind of, you're kind of saying that 14 years <laughs> separates hey, paycheck these. was also a very successful movie wasn't colin firth in that no uh, colin ben, ben affleck ben affleck, ben affleck. He said. and then jo- johnny woo johnny woo something john, john woo john woo you guys john this is woo. so strange this is yep. really really strange because i had not remembered I'm going to talk about this more later when it's my time. But I had not remembered that I had seen this film in college. But as Joe started talking about it, it started coming back to me. Yeah. Uh, It's a pretty good film. It's a fine film. uh, When did your books come out? Uh, My short story was published. It was written in 1952, published in 1953. Mine was published in 1966. All right, Joe, you go first. There it is. Your book, your book came out first. Yeah. Well, hey, that's. Do you that know what is, I mean? Yeah, that's the kind of rock solid logic that the litheads are here for. Hey, Nick, in I a know chronological you way. 
Mm-hmm. Nick, I, I I do know what you mean too. Oh, okay. Well, that's. I mean, just, I don't. We're all not necessary, page. but I guess that's good to know that you know. Yeah. Um, Joseph. Yeah. I'm excited to hear about Ben Affleck. That's that's good because most of my notes are about Ben Affleck. Do you guys remember um, apples? These apples. <laughs> Do you remember um, who did remember he date the, that he had the great name for? Didn't he date J Lo for a long J-Lo? time, and then didn't what they make a the terrible Ben-Lo? movie? Geely, Ben Lo, Geely, yeah, Gigi, Gigi. All right, so. We've we've talked about Philip K. Dick on this show before. Um, Ian has talked about Philip K. Dick, yes. like science fiction superstar, wrote forty four novels in his lifetime, one hundred and twenty one short stories, Hugo Awards. Like he's he's a legend. Um, tons of movies are based on his stuff. Total Recall, Standard Art, Darkly. This is what I know about Blade Runner, Philip K. Dick. He mm-hmm. basically writes writes these short short stories that have like this really interesting angle that. All of these screenwrites and movie directors basically just extrapolate into this huge world. Yeah. And I feel like that keep like he, how many movies has he had made from his short stories? Like it's um, gotta be dozens. Four hundred and seventy. Four hundred and seventy. Well, wow. That's, that feels maybe not totally that's, accurate. <laughs> we're talking about fake things a minute ago. We'll get a source on that uh, <laughs> later. Yeah. yeah. So like, uh, and not just movies, like not just a bunch of movies made from his stuff, but a lot of really good movies made from mm-hmm. his stuff. And I think it's because of what you're talking about, Nick, where I think he's so, so good at establishing a premise. A premise. Right. So right. He's like, a what if. Where he, yeah, a what if. He's the prince of premise. Is, the that's prince what I would call him. Of premise. That's great. That's yeah, that's good. Well, but Nick, but go ahead. Sorry, can I can I say one quick thing about that? The, about looking at looking the at new name we came up with? Prince of Premise. Yeah. Um I'm concerned that Prince the musician, the artist formerly known as Prince, might come uh, after us for that one. Mm, I mean, could we say the, the, the show? Potentate. The potent <laughs> No, we're not. Can we, no, can we just say like the f- art, like the writer formerly known as the Prince of Premise? Yeah, like, let's that do that. Better? That's good. That's, right. No, that's accurate. Um, <laughs> here's, that's good. Here's the thing. Like, Thank you, I Joe. think it's it's really interesting that a lot of his, a lot of the films and television shows based on his work, yes, they do start with his premise, but then oftentimes they go in, not wildly, they go in remarkably different directions from where he his stories go. And that's because I think a lot of times screenwriters aren't a big fan of the way he plays out his stories looking at. Um, I mean, I watched all the seasons of man on the high castle. I saw Amazon's electric dreams. I've seen a lot of the stuff based on his work. And oftentimes people start, they love where he begins, but they're mm-hmm. like, yeah, he did not pay that off. Well, we're going to take this in a different, more satisfying. Direction. Yeah. Yeah. I, it kind of reminds me of like Stephen King and like, I'm just going to write these yeah. books and like, I don't know. They don't feel like, they don't always feel like artistic in merit, but yeah. like they're really fun. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I want to talk about the premise of this short story, but then I, I definitely have like things to say about that. Well, that's good. I think, that's good. Yeah. That's what I'm, that's, that's, that's the work that I've done for this week. Um, okay. I, I think the plot, I think the premise of this book is absolutely undeniable, right? Undeniable. This guy has been working for two years. He wakes up with no memory of the past two years. Dang. He, he has signed a contract with this agency, with this corporation that basically said, hey, 
we want you to work for us, but basically in lieu of a non-disclosure agreement, we're just going to give you like a little baby lobotomy at the end of your time and cut out those oh, memories. Oh, so cute. A baby just lobotomy. A li- just a little one. Just a little <laughs> bit off the top. A yeah, little baby. Which really made me laugh because like they do actually t- describe that as how they extracted his memories. Like they go in next to his ear and pull out a chunk of his brain. Right. And like, I'm not a scientist, guys. I'm not a brain doctor, but Wait, I what? do not think that's how memory works. I'm well, not sure. Well, currently. Right. So, currently. Brain science has come a long way. Yeah. So so he wakes up. He's expecting this big payday, right? Like he's getting kind of dropped off back in his town. He's expecting this big payday, $50,000 in 1952 wow. money, uh, which would be about uh, half a million dollars today. So nice big payday coming his I way. I appreciate that math. Yep. No problem. Uh, inflationcalculator.com. Mm-hmm. It goes to pick up his thing and the secretary that like is in charge of distributing his pay is she's like, oh, this is highly irregular. Instead of $50,000, you have left yourself these seven items. <laughs> and those seven items are, <clears throat> stick with me, I'm just going to say them once. Yeah. A hey, length Joe. a length of wire. Mm-hmm. Ian. Do us a quiz at the end of this. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I will. Pay attention. You might want to write these down. He's left himself a length of fine wire, a bus token, a ticket stub, a strip of green cloth, a code key, half of a broken poker chip, and a parcel receipt. And that's what he has taken in lieu of $50,000. This is like memento. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, this feels like what memento does with kind of like visual and, and textual clues. This is like... Props again, props. Okay, so how? Oh man, how is the bus token the first thing he uses or the last thing? What if the the whole book ended with just a bus ride? (laughs) (laughs) And then I got. And then I had to go get some groceries. (laughs) Enjoy some sun. Oh, okay, but like that feeling that you have is like I think what Philip Dick is so good at. Like immediately you're in. Like he wakes up. There's these seven things. You have an hour worth of a short story sitting in front of you here, and you go dang, I can't wait to see how these seven things right. play out. Right. Yeah, I that's mean, like, pretty cool. What what Nick was saying about like artistic versus fun, like I hear this and it sounds gimmicky, mm-hmm. but I don't necessarily mean that as a bad thing. Like this is a fun gimmick. This is like, okay, yeah, dude, let's see how these all work in. Let's okay. see. It's like it's like in that David David Fincher movie, Seven, yeah. um, where you're like, okay, how are all the deadly sins going to show up? It's like you're, yep. You know there is a set number of things that are going to happen, and so you're interested to see. It's not about, like, will he use them? You know he's got to, but right. how? Yeah, well, yeah. can you imagine if this story finished and he had just used five of the seven things? <laughs> he's like, oh, I guess like, these were just trash in my pockets. I guess some of this was just accidental. What does it mean? <laughs> Um, okay, so that's pretty cool. So we set up pretty quickly. Of course, it's a short story. It's all quick. Uh, we set up pretty quickly a mystery puzzle. I would say puzzle. Hunt. It sounds like a puzzle. Yeah, I think it is a puzzle, right? Right? Like I will um, allow the, puzzle. 
There's a there's a famous talk that I saw once from uh, I think J.J. Abrams. So that I I think he gave it, and he talked about the difference between puzzles and mysteries, right? And he said mm. mystery is when you're missing information, right? Like you 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 don't know something, like you need a clue, you need something to help you out. A puzzle is when you have everything in front of you and you just want to see how it all fits together. This is absolutely a puzzle. A, a Philip K. Dick, Prince of Premise Puzzle. J. Jeffrey Jacob. That's what J.J. Abrams stands for. Jeffrey Jacob. Lidhud's, uh, you heard it here first. So what happens? Is there anything to talk about past the premise? Um, I, There not, must be. Well, there is, right? Who's like, the I villain? Mean, the, the premise, he, there is a villain, and there's a girl, <laughs> and there's like all sorts of like rushing around and breaking into things and secret organizations and secret police and like all sorts of like good dystopia-ish sci-fi stuff like gotcha. that. Like that's definitely like the 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 meat of this tone. thing. The, yeah, that's definitely the tone. Um cool sci-fi stuff in here. And then I want to talk about some not so good stuff. Um Nick, let's end on the really bad stuff so it's the yeah, freshest well, in I my do. mind. There is <laughs> it, Nick, there's intercity jets. Or, I'm sorry, not intercity jets, intercity rockets. We currently have intercity jets. That's what we call airplanes. Right. They play <laughs> in New York. <laughs> But yeah, we have inner city rockets and there's like big ones that you could take or you can own your own personal rocket. Uh, there's infrared searchlights, Nick. I don't know what oh, that is. that. Infrared it, you know, searchlights. I've been thinking our searchlights are too, too boring and conventional. Right. They're yeah. too much How on the visible light spectrum. Yeah. So infrared or ultraviolet, one of the two. And ultraviolet would just give you a bad suntan. So. Right. How can so, we yeah. create something that only dogs can see? there are there's robot bus conductors um who are kind of fretful like the robot bus conductor really really seems a lot like c wait okay so that's in total recall a robot bus conductor robot taxi driver there it is um the main thing, the main science fictiony thing at the center of this though is something called a time scoop Nick, no, it's nice. very important. You, sounds you sounds it. like sounds like something named by uh, a <laughs> science fiction writer earlier in their career. <laughs> it sounds okay, like something well, that's capitalized. It, it is. Well, it is <laughs> yeah, like the T and the S in scoop. <laughs> Obviously, time scoop. It is capitalized. You are right. For about sure, that. it is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it, this is the premise. The time scoop is it, time that's, travel that's is not it, possible. It scoops out the memories. Right. So like in this in the short story, time travel is not possible. It has been proven as as ineffective. However, there is theoretically like a way that you can look forward in time and you could just like reach in and grab stuff. Right. Like you can literally look forward in time and scoop stuff out of the future. Like you can take things out of the future. Like, can you give us an example of a thing? Uh, For example, maybe a bus token or a half of a poker chip or a length of fine wire. Oh, sorry. I was looking up house costs on (laughs) inflationcalculator.com. Yeah. That's crazy. Bad bad (laughs) choice. Bad choice. (laughs) (laughs) My parents suck. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So like, that's the good stuff. Okay. Right. Like the premise is so good. Like the plot is like movie and propulsive and all this stuff. Right. There's robots. There's robots. There's driving robots. There's secret police. Um, the not so good stuff is like this is definitely a little bit amateur in effort, which is like crazy to say about Philip K. Dick. But um, I, I was reading a little bit about him today, and Philip K. Dick's very first story that he ever published was in 1951. 
He was 22 years old, and the story was about, quote, a dog who imagined that the garbage man that came every Friday morning were stealing valuable food, which the family uh, had carefully stored away. Oh, my goodness. That's Philip K. Dix. Like, that's a stupid premise, right? <laughs> like, that, that, that's the Prince of Premise cutting his chops. Okay, that story was in 1951. Right. This story is in 1952. <laughs> so like the Philip K. Dick that we see right in this story isn't so far removed from the dog mad at the garbage man guy. Sure. But that was also 70 years ago, right? So like if you watch, you know, 75% of the Twilight Zone, it's like the premises are kind of lame. <laughs> <laughs> well, but this but is then you have like the-, the 25% which are like still hold up and are incredible. And I feel like that's kind of similar to him maybe. <laughs> Like, it's a different world. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's absolutely a different world. And I think, like, one of the things that's always cool in science fiction, and the science fiction that really stands with us is, or the science fiction that really sticks with us, is the stuff in which, like, the premises have played out to a point. Like, like the premises have, mm, yes. have turned out to be prescient yes. to a point, right? Yes. And when you read this short story, one of the cool things about it is, like, there's parallels to today right like we don't have intercity rockets but we do have like incredibly powerful corporations that like rest individuality and rest control from individuals right like we do have like this tension and like these people feeling really small he's a very very quotable aphoristic guy he says that science fiction is a rebellious art form that needs writers and readers with bad attitudes, attitudes of why or how come or who says. <laughs> and I, I, I like that approach. But the risk, I think, is if you start asking why about everything or who says or so what or what if, sometimes you're going to have really good premises and sometimes you're going to have dogs that think it's a food stealing conspiracy. Like, you throw enough spaghetti at the wall, some of it will stick, but a lot of it will land on the floor. Right. Like this guy wrote 121 yeah. short stories in his life and 50 novels. Like some of those are going to hold up. Some of them are not. And I think what sticks with us, you know, like the movies that we love, the short stories, the novels that we still love are so often just like the the ones that turned out to, hey, he got it right. He predicted it yep. right. Right. When you read this, there's a lot of like, mechanical stuff, a lot of writing stuff, a lot of craft stuff that just isn't great, especially when you <laughs> like, like, like there's, there's plot twists that aren't foreshadowed, right? Like there's, there's like this element of like omniscience and infallibility from like this time travel element that really takes a lot of tension out of the plot, right? Like um, there's wooden characters, there's weird pacing. Uh, He kind of implies at one point that he's going to force a girl to marry him, like kind of blackmail a girl into marrying him. Like just stuff that's not great. Ooh. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But... Okay. <laughs> okay. But for all of that, I think it does so well what science fiction often does, which it is just really grippy and really propulsive. Like you read it, you kind of can't stop reading it. And, and all I was thinking is when I, uh, Ian, when you were in college, you surely took some writing workshops, right? Like you sat around a table with Many. people and like, yeah, and gave them things that you wrote. What? I guess I could talk about what those are like a little bit, but like Ian, what's, what's your memory of like those writing workshops? What are those like? Uh, there's a lot of trepidation, a lot of like, will, will people like the thing that I created? 
Um, there's there's some vindication. People are like this is good, but for me, like the thing about writing workshops is always I lo- I, I I love myself. I love my creative work, and so. I think when I when I finish a draft, it's beautiful, perfect, and the best. And so people would look at me like, "Yeah, so this characterization is a little bit floppy." And I'd be like, <laughs> "Your mother doesn't love you." <laughs> You're like, "I'm going Dang to burn it. your house down tonight." Right? Yeah, like there's there's a degree of like anger and how dare you, but also like if you're smart, you can see it, and you're like, "Crap." Yeah. So there's there's a constant like it's not just a constant reevaluation of your own creative work. It's always also a constant reevaluation of yourself. Like, hey, I thought this was pretty dang good. And then now they're saying truthfully that this is needing work in these specific ways. Yeah. Okay. All I could think when I was reading this is as page turning as it is, if you brought this to an undergraduate writing workshop and you gave <laughs> yeah. it to those other 15 people at the table. Ooh. You would get torn apart. Yeah. Like they, they would poke so many holes in this. They would, they would, they would, they call would you Swiss cheese. You. They'd call you Swiss cheese. But, 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 and I think this is how short stories have changed. But, over but, the but, 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 as Cardi way. B would say. <laughs> but for all of that, I still think there's. I was thinking an Jennifer Lopez. Of, anyway, yeah. sorry, keep going. It's, it's, it's good. Okay. But for all of that, I think there's still just an undeniability about it, right? Like. When Philip K. Dick was publishing short stories, they were for entertainment, right? Like you would publish them in these science fiction magazine. You would publish them in these men's magazine. And like the things that got published were the things that people wanted to read. There was a legitimate science fiction market for short stories and like a meritocracy for short stories. That doesn't really exist anymore. Now people publish short stories in like literary magazines and then maybe they publish like a collection of them once they've published something else. So I think short stories have changed. Yeah. This short story for all of its flaws is entertaining, right? Right. Like it's fun to read. It's entertaining. And I think that's, that's the undeniable part. I think something happened in the 1990s. I'm not sure what it was, but maybe the internet. Um, I'm not sure how that would, but something happened in the 90s that really changed the market for these sort of entertainment-focused sci-fi or a genre, just genre-focused right. um, periodicals. Where you're right, you don't like part of part of the way that a lot of science fiction writers in the in the bulk of the 20th century made their living was by writing short stories and that's why they have like so and so wrote you know 400 short stories in their life because <laughs> you, they they made money that way and and you just like you can't you make money by selling books physical yeah. books and that means collections of your short stories maybe but mm-hmm. yeah that's weird yeah. <laughs> put a little dollop on that one mm mm-hmm. mhm <laughs> one of the Philip gave, I have one of those collections of his short stories, and oh, nice. I haven't f- finished it, but I did read the first one. And the first one is, um, it's like I don't know, twenty pages, sure. And it's this guy who thinks he's being followed. So it's called, I think, okay, it's called Fair Game, and it's basically okay. <laughs> speaking of questionable premises, it's basically <laughs> um, he, this guy's being followed. And um, you think it's like aliens, like he has like lights yeah. above him flying in the sky, and that's what, and then and then at the end you um, he's a fish and he's got caught by a fish <laughs> a fisherman. Yes, <laughs> the main character is a fish. That's like the dog garbage man. Yeah, he he gets cooked. He gets cooked and eaten. Oh, um, no. oh he does. Kind of, a, kind of a fun read, huh? But this is like revolutionary. This is like 
holy cow, he's a fish. Like <laughs> this is like if, it, if this is the fifties, this is prime. <laughs> <laughs> Gentlemen, gentlemen, happy birthday to Martin Luther King. Well, that's not how the song goes. You say happy birthday to happy you. Happy birthday, birthday to, you. to Martin Luther King. You guys remember the old days before okay. happy birthday came out of copyright? And when you went to the, you used to go to like a restaurant. This happened to me once and it was the worst oh. day of my life. They they clustered around. <laughs> the servers clustered around, drooling and, and fuming. And they sang oh my something like this. It goes a little something like this. Happy, happy birthday from all of us to you. I wish it was a birthday to you. Good party too. Hey. And then they gave like That's a perfect. 50 cent cupcake with a candle. I always liked the one that was like, um, this is your birthday song. It isn't very long. <laughs> <laughs> See, that one's clever and kind of fun. Happy birthday. I, happy, I happy really birthday like was just, just dreadful. Well, fantastic. Well, uh, okay. So. Do you guys want to? Yeah. Do you guys want to bring a book about Martin Luther King Jr.? It, because it is his birthday. It is so his birthday. Yeah. So we're actually we're starting to break a book. We're going to read a book for every lithead on yeah. their birthday. Right. That's, <laughs> Since, that's a new. <laughs> well, if they have a book about them, yeah. If they yeah, have exactly, a book, that's, that's a big caveat. Yeah. Um, you gotta have which, a book about. Kind of there was the pool, honestly. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I'll bring um, I'll bring King's 1964 book. Why we can't wait, and um, it's a good book, and I would like to talk about it. Fantastic! And I'm gonna bring a bunch of fun facts about Martin Luther King, including wow. a bunch about his time in Birmingham. And I'm thinking a really, a really good game, like a real guys. <sighs> it's gonna be, we'll a, it's gonna be amazing. We'll it's be gonna be a fun game. I like th- this word collage: fun, excited, good. I have a question right off the bat. Um, I have an answer right off the in, bat. In your book movie, in the movie yep. of your book, Total yep. Recall, yeah, um, it has one of my favorite quotes ever in an action film, okay. um, which I'd like to share with you. But my question yeah. is, is it in the book? And the, the, it goes like this. Right. Um, Come with me if you want to live. <laughs> no, that's a good one. That's a good okay. one, too. It's, it's uh, not y- yippee Kaye, motherfucker. No, that's good too. All, All of right. these are wrong, but thank you for guessing. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger walks into a bar, and there are some um, women of the night there, yes. uh, pro- prostitutes. Yeah. And one of them walks up to him. Uh, she has three breasts, and she walks up to him and grabs his peen. Uh, his okay, member. Yeah. We're really, really earning that explicit rating this week with words like peen and prostitute. Go ahead. And the Prince of Peen walks up to him and she goes, she she grabs it. Just they have never met. And she just walks up to him, (laughs) grabs his wiener and she goes, what have you been feeding this thing? And he goes, blondes. I I like a couple things about that. I like how hung up Nick was on not just not just her grabbing him, but like the fact that they'd never met, that they just no. met for the first time. Let's be he, clear. This very forward prostitute has never met this guy before. They don't, they don't know each other. They didn't go to high school together. They've never dated she still before. Grabs him. There's no backstory here. Philip K. Dick doesn't have time for backstory, okay? I also think that all of the quotes that Ian and I guessed ahead of time were way better. I disagree. <laughs> 
Uh, so um, th- I guess that's my base knowledge for what I know about your yeah. book. Yeah, so so the film, um, the Verhoeven film with, with Schwarzenegger is based on um, the short story, but it it basically what happened with the short story is they screenwriters got a hold of it and they said, this is a really good first act. This short story is a really good first act, but they didn't like how it ended. And so they said, let's go further. Let's see like what happens after this short story ends. Let's kind of tease this out further. So it's not like they didn't, it's actually one where a lot, uh, some of the, some of the, the plot structure, the plot superstructure remains in the film but they just were like this doesn't go far enough there's there's a lot of, of unrealized potential here so yeah it was a um, cool world right it's a cool world it's a cool uh again a cool premise uh interesting character like what what about a guy who doesn't know um doesn't know if he's a secret agent or not doesn't know if he's been to mars or not so th- that the 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 story is really focused on that, and what Verhoeven and and other um, people associated with the film said, we need to make this more actiony, more kind of fighty and punchy and mm-hmm. and dangerous. Literally more punchy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's let's punch this up. Uh, but Dick, I think was really really invested in psychological and mental stories and he 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 could tell you things about you know laser robot apocalypses and. Mm-hmm explosions and stuff but but his interest i think in part because of who he was as a person i mean he was he was a hippie he experimented with uh, a lot of drugs and then when he found the drugs he liked he stopped experimenting and just started using um he <laughs> that is the progression of most drug users <laughs> this one's good he he was really invested in like higher perception and um he he believed kind of half seriously that when he wrote fiction, he was writing things into existence that were happening in all other alternate realities. Oh, so he's very excited about like what goes on in the mind. So it's not surprising that like his story would focus on identity, memory, the sort of mechanics of what happens if you suddenly discover, oh, yes, I was a secret agent this whole time. Um, and then also discover a further thing with aliens, which I'm not really going to spoil. And then the film comes along like, that's cool, but also we need a lot of punching and some prostitutes. <laughs> you know, fair enough. All right, so what's the premise? So the premise is basically, um, there, as, as I mentioned, this this sad sack dude, um, he wants to go to Mars, and you can't go to Mars because nobody can go to Mars. Only, only high-level government officials and secret agents and stuff like that can go to Mars. And he is just a worker at a company, so he goes to get goes to um, uh, the recall company, and uh, he says, "I would like a memory of going to Mars." And they're like, "Well, yeah, you can't go to Mars, but memories are better, and we'll make it like you have already gone to Mars. So we'll not just give you the memory in your mind, but we'll also give you like some." Some keepsakes from Mars, some postcards um, from that you sent. Seven items, mm-hmm. kind of, but the items are much less. This is this is where I say say maybe he's he's kind of um, he's kind of evolving past the sort of puzzle approach, and he's like they're less they're less important to the plot. The items are more like they confirm. Yes, I did go to Mars. We'll give you you know this. Um, We'll give you these worms, these dried up worms, this yeah. worms souvenirs. from Mars, this algae. And, and basically th- these items prove to you that you were there. So you have this memory and you believe this memory. You don't remember going to recall. Oh. You just remember oh. going to Mars. Right. And then what happens? They get under the, the, the recall process 
And they call mm-hmm. him, they call the, the head guy in and they're like, hey, he's not taking it. Turns out uh, he actually did go to Mars in the past. <laughs> oh. And his current identity as sad sack office worker was an implanted memory oh boy. of not having gone to Mars. Great. They took that piece of brain out of somebody else, right? Like they did a lobotomy on somebody else where they didn't remember going to Mars and they shoved it into Arnold Schwarzenegger's ear. Okay. Did that happen? Nah, I mean... <laughs> I don't know how else you would implant a memory. Yeah. Right. Uh, this is brain. I science. mean, the, the ear is a direct shot to the brain, so uh, <laughs> it's hard to argue there. No, um, it's, it has to do with drugs and they don't really, he, Dick doesn't really go into like the, the, the mechanics of it. Like let's keep it moving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's like, he's like, I'm not going to explain it. It doesn't matter. We have a, we have a, 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 a an amoeba that, that does telepathy for you. Let's, let's go, let's go forward. Um, so we discover that, oh, yes, he has this uh, previously implanted memory and that causes a whole conflict. And then the uh, government organization that was supposed to um, keep that he was working for turns out he was an assassin for them and a whole bunch of other stuff unfolds. Eventually, they they come up with a solution, a memory solution to kind of like deal with this conundrum because he, now he remembers going to recall to get his memories changed. But he also remembers going to Mars. So he's got like a, a memory uh, contradiction in his mind. Sounds like some internal conflict is at play here, Ian. Yeah. Ooh. Right. Some cognitive, cognitive dissonance. dissonance. It is. It's a, a lot of internal conflict. And the conclusion, the conclusion is one which adds a whole nother layer. And I'm not oh. going to get into it. But as I mentioned, small rodent like aliens come into it <laughs> and um, a, a sort of messiah figure, a, a world savior. Um who is protecting the world from the aliens. So the point is, I mean, yeah, there's some shooting, there's some like mystery secret agent stuff, but the point really is, okay, let's go back to electric sheep and blade runner. <laughs> uh, Cause this is, this is a, a, a good way to, to approach kind of Dick and, and the mind in blade runner. There are replicants. There are killer robots running around and Harrison Ford is supposed to kill them. Yes. But the drama of the story is not so much. I mean, it's kind of like, will he go kill Rutger Howard? Yeah, but it's more the replicants growing self-awareness and Rick Deckard wondering, wait, am I a robot myself? And the, the real draw of this is what is real and what is implanted? What is real and what is fake? It goes back to that quote about reality. We have so many th- entities creating realities for us. Yeah. Um, how do we know what we believe? Well, whatever's on the news. Right. We're like, I follow TikTok. my Twitter feed, TikTok feed. Obviously, this is the, right? this is the real. It's been curated for me. I want to take you guys to, to, to kind of like get into this further because it's a really cool question. I think it's very, very relevant to us today. I want to take you guys back to the medieval period. Um, ooh, medieval. So, ooh, happy, happy time. Yes, good times. So um, th- this is based on a piece of scholarship, which is so brilliant that I might actually bring it to the podcast sometime. It's called The Book of Memory by a scholar named Mary Carruthers. And she's, she's a historian and a literary scholar. And she basically argues that gradually over the course of human ev- evolution and development, we have been advancing technologically. And that lets us put more and more of our memory outside of our bodies. Our memory used to be in our bodies. We used yeah. to remember things physically within the limits of our skin. Mm-hmm. As we developed various technologies that let us put more of our memories external. So cave paintings right. way, 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 way mm-hmm. back in the day. 
Cave paintings let us record major narrative events. And then I killed this buffalo and it was great. Uh, as we learned to write, <laughs> big we, narrative event. <laughs> we recorded more complex ideas like, what is love? <laughs> Baby, don't hurt me. Um, Bill, this is great. Eventually, we could. You're going to have to paint this. Yeah. We could. <laughs> this is such a good story. And then you killed it with a spear. Unbelievable. Eventually, eventually. Um, with printing, we could pr- we could produce um, the same stories, but in larger volume. Photography lets us be more kind of exact and immediate in what we reproduce. Digital technology lets us be instantaneous. So I don't have to go now and find the encyclopedia, which has the entry for Charlie Brown. I can just Google Charlie Brown and it's right, right there on Wikipedia. But we still kind of rely on things we remember bodily. And this story mm-hmm. asks, what if what if every memory we had could be externalized. What if everything we had, everything that we possibly can, even our past kind of bodily experiences, going to Mars, going to a national park, going to the beach, going to the store, what if we, that actually maybe didn't happen? So, I don't know about you guys, you guys are probably, you're you're very hip and stuff, so you probably use Apple devices. I, I'm an Android boy, so I use Google Photos. Google Mm -hmm. Photos backs up, it's the cloud, where I store the photos I take on my phone, and oftentimes, this happened to me recently, Google Photos gives me these little little slideshows and it reminds me of experiences that I had Yeah, that I photographed, but I kind of forgot about. Yeah. Yeah. Like photos are like super external memories. Like, yeah. And you're like, re-experiencing like, it yeah. through the externalized memory. You're not remembering it like, oh yeah, that time that I went to do that thing and we had that really good ice cream. No, you're looking at the photo and that is where the memory resides. Well, it's it's like this idea of like, I, I, I've seen before that when we remember something, we always think we're remembering the event. But when you actually look at brain science, you're remembering the last time you remembered it. Yes. Right? Which, yes. Is, which is like, it's a Xerox of a Xerox of a Xerox of a Xerox. Right. And then we wonder right. why 50 years later, <laughs> my wife and I have totally different stories about our wedding right. day or whatever right. it it's is. It's fuzzy. Yeah. Oh, are you, on, do you, are, do you reject reality? Are you, (laughs) do you believe in, we're in a dream right now in the metaverse? (laughs) No, I don't. This, this week's episode sponsored by Facebook. Now meta get into the, get into the, get on, get on the meta mobile. Okay. So here's my thing. Google, Google had for a long time, that whole mantra. Don't be evil. You guys remember that? This is that like, this this is kind of like a a thing they did to, to, to sell themselves. It was, it was a famous company motto. And then they, they kind of dropped it quietly. (laughs) Which is extremely concerning, but I I I I wonder what's the risk to us of depositing our experiences and more than that, but our our pasts, the ghosts of ourselves yeah. in the past, yeah, in the cloud, in this external place. So if I lose access to my Google Photos, some of those memories are gone. Ooh. Maybe oh, somebody, sure. okay, maybe somebody hacks my, hacks my Google account and takes my spicy photos mm-hmm. of mountains and trees. Then um, they have your memories. Then, then they, they have that. Right. You. But, but I think there's a bigger sort of humanitarian danger of letting part of ourselves, our identities are, are who we are not live inside of us and instead live elsewhere. And this, the story asks, what happens if we lose control over who we are and somebody else has the final say about what what i remember what i can hold on to all the big narrative stuff that happens in this happens 
in the confines of the commercial um, and, and the company, the recall, recall incorporated that lets him change his memories around yeah. and the title we can remember it for you wholesale. The whole, it, it, it emphasizes this is all very uh, market driven. Right. You can change yourself, but only if you can afford it. You can change yourself, but only if you're allowed to by the powers that be. You stop having bodily autonomy. Your memory and yourself is not just locked up in your skin anymore. It's scattered. And that means other people can grab a hold of it and change it. And that is freaking scary. Are you saying this is commentary on capitalism, Ian? I'm saying this is commentary on on technocracy. This goes back to something we were talking about in in, in a previous week, uh, the Rudyard Kipling week, Kipling shorts um, about indirect exposition. So he is not saying hello. It's I mean Robert Heinlein um, says hello. It's me, Robert Heinlein, and I think war is cool. Here is a nuclear bomb that will destroy these nasty aliens, which I have quasi racist names for because they're aliens. Mm -hmm. Highline is very like upfront about here is the overt lesson. Dick is like, Hey, I'm going to write this story. I'm going to kind of suggest some things and, and I can't find it now, but there's this quote, this really good quote about his work where he doesn't tie things up for you. He brings you to the edge and he says, okay. And now it's the balls in your court. It's up to you. You do what you want with this. And and it's the overt message is suggested. There is the shadow or the outline of it. But no, he's not going to say, and that's why technocratic capitalism is a bad thing, kids. Go blow up all the credit card companies. No, he's like. I just wish he would. <sighs> Tell me what to think, Mr. Dick. I don't know. That, he might have aged even more poorly if that, <laughs> like if, if that had been how he added all of his stories. He, had, he did a speech um, in 1978 called How to Build a Universe That Doesn't Fall Apart Two Days Later. And he says in this speech, as well as that, that uh, quote I read at the beginning about creating whole universes, universes of the mind. He says, this to me is the ultimate, ultimately heroic trait of ordinary people. They say no to the tyrant and they calmly take the consequences of this resistance. They say no to the tyrant and they calmly take the consequences of this resistance. And then the other quote is from Ursula Le Guin, who we read The Wizard of Earthsea a long time ago. And she's kind of this this, this massive figure in, in philosophical science fiction and fantasy. She says, there are no heroes in Dick's books, but there are heroics. One is reminded of Dickens. What counts is the honesty, constancy, kindness and patience of ordinary people. So he's not, he's not interested in like, and that's why we should bomb the government. He's like, (laughs) and that's why you should be kind to the people around you and be honest with them. Joe, I like, um, your book, I, I like the premise of your book. I think it's immediately intriguing. It doesn't have Colin Firth in it, so that's obviously a pretty ben big negative Affleck, against yeah. you. Yeah, well, but I wanted Colin Firth. Well, so sorry. The budget, you got um, budget Colin Firth. I got <laughs> <laughs> American Colin Firth, Ben Affleck. <laughs> um, Ian, your book sounds very relevant. Mm, it is. My problem with it, though, is that 
you don't get that. All of the stuff you talked about, I don't think you get in the book. I think you get that from stepping back, doing your own research, and doing a deep dive into <laughs> Philip K. Dick. <laughs> That's my only problem with that. Um, plus, the movie was perfect, and it had a um, it had that great scene that we discussed earlier, right. that, so, where they had never even met each other before. They were totally right. Strangers. So. Yeah, they were told they didn't even know each other. And she just walked up to him and grabbed his peen just like out, like not even an issue. Like, that's how we do it on Mars. We just grab peens. Well, okay, but to be fair, I think that maybe just how they do it in prostitution. I don't really I don't have much experience. Mars thing. I don't think it's I don't don't think (laughs) Paul Verhoeven was like, yes, but what would a a Martian prostitute be like? (laughs) They got to be different somehow. How would they be different? Oh, I know. That'll be brazen. <laughs> Whereas normal earth prostitutes are so shy and bashful. I don't know why he's a British. Um, British. All right. Uh, yeah. I, I think what we're doing to try to accomplish here on this scene is just giving a real taste of life for how, how it is on Mars. So when Arnold walks in, what you're going to do is you just walk right up to him and just give him the old Mars handshake. <laughs> Oh, dear. Uh, Ian, you lose. Um, <laughs> Joseph, I've heard now, speaking of my own research and deep dives, mm-hmm. I've heard that your book is significantly better than the movie. So I think whereas Ian's uh, maybe is quite the opposite, where the movie's just obviously a 10 out of 10 sure. action film. Um, I I think, I Ian, I think your book would want me to... Le- uh, <laughs> Leave you wanting more. Leaving, yeah. Yeah, yeah, leave me with wanting more, yeah. which is not necessarily a bad thing, but mm, got to pick a winner. So no, I feel congratulations, it. Congratulations, Joseph. Awesome. And Joe, this will this will show you to say, oh, my book isn't that good. Oh, it's kind of amateurish. <laughs> he always says that. Yeah. That's what, that's I'd like what, to end my my time by telling you about the bad part. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I think cool, Joe. I think that's a really interesting <laughs> thing, Nick. With like we t- we ended last last episode with like some movies you just don't want to add to. And it's cool when a (laughs) perfection of 2001, a space odyssey and total recall. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sensing a theme. Um, Hey, lit heads. uh, If you want to remember already having given five stars to us on the ice tune store, just step into this little booth and we'll administer some drugs um, we would love those five stars, but you know, you've already given them to us. You've also right. already gone to Spotify or Google podcasts or Apple podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts and you've subscribed. You know what? You've also already told your friends all about this show and about how good it is. And, uh, to prove that you have, um, well, the lingering warmth of their hugs as they hugged you for saying what a good show this is. You've also already <laughs> gone to our website and you've uh, suggested some great themes, some great books. Next episode, we've got another listener recommendation coming up and you've already listened to that one too. And you think it's a great episode because this is the past and you are the future. Remember we were all there with you. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Um, Ian and Nick, I would like to congratulate all three of us on going through an entire Philip K. Dick episode without making too many jokes about his last Dick name jokes. being Dick. Yeah, it was really low-hanging right. fruit the whole time. Okay, first Much of all, like don't say low-hanging fruit. Second of all, Mars. I really do, <laughs> I do feel like when Nick was describing that pornographic scene in excruciating detail, we showed a really lot of yeah, yeah, we we showed tremendous restraint. Um, we've grown a lot over the last couple of years. Well, guys, I think that's and, premature. Yeah, all right. Um, okay, um, 
I started with the premise in my book. I would like to finish with the Prince of Premise himself. And I actually have a quote, not from my story, but from Philip K. Dick about my story. Um, when asked about it, he said, <laughs> Philip K. Dick says, how much is a key to a bus locker worth? One day it's worth 25 cents and the next thousands of dollars. In this story, I got to thinking that there are times in our lives when having a dime to make a phone call spells the difference between life and death. Keys, small change, maybe a theater ticket. How about a parking receipt for a Jaguar? All I had to do was link this idea up with time travel to see how the small and useless under the, eye, under the eyes of a wise time traveler might signify a great deal more. How would we know that a dime might save your life? And back in the past again, he might prefer that dime to any amount of money no matter how large. Mm-hmm.